Tonight's episode is brought to you by Capitalism with a Holiday Flair, SurvivalFeeling.com, and you, our listeners. Driving in St. Louis is kind of like a really good metaphor for life. Trust no one and expect to be traumatized. What is up, all of you wayward souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories, for those of you who are as yet uninitiated, is the podcast where we tell stories of our adventures in the great outdoors. Adventures where we go out there and see what we can find to explore in this world, and in so doing, oftentimes discover something about ourselves. I think, truthfully, that's what most of us are doing. We're out there to explore nature, but I think subconsciously what we're really doing is exploring ourselves and out there looking for ourselves. I know that's what I'm doing, at least. I am happy to have you guys back here with me tonight, and I am elated. There are not even words to explain how excited I am to be back here in the studio this time. Y'all, this last three weeks of work has been a whole dang thing. It has been a whole dang thing. Let me tell you something. It's gotten cray cray, okay? Shipping, receiving, all that kind of stuff. This time of year, as you might suspect or know, it gets a little wild. Um, This year is no different than any peak season I have ever worked before, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. People were especially crabby this year. Might have something to do with the fact that there's like shortages of the strangest damn things that you can ever imagine. Like that's getting a little bit annoying. I'm getting a little bit back to my old apocalyptic prepper days. Like I'm like, you know what? I need to buy all the things. I go to Walmart. Ooh, look, they have one of the things I need. I should buy everything they have on the shelf because chances are I can't get my Fig Newtons next week. You know, it's getting weird. It's getting weird. It's strange stuff, like weird little food items. It's like, I didn't know anyone else even ate these, but there are none left. Apparently, they're a hot ticket item. It's getting weird. Um, and so people are getting a little bit crabby. We're getting a little bit cranky. Um, there is a particular employee of the UPS store in Festus, Missouri, who is not a big fan of mine right now because I may or may not have had to articulate the nuances and the intricacies of how the cow ate the cabbage to him, maybe possibly, unfortunately, in front of a lobby full of customers. But he was being a whole jerk. He wasn't kind of being a jerk. He was being like one of the biggest jerks I've ever had to deal with. Um, So that was a thing. So it's been interesting. But you know what? On the good side of things, I've also had some really nice people like come up and talk to me. I had a gentleman, um, I've had, I had no less than I would say a half dozen people come up and offer me something and ask if they could pray for me. Um, which I allowed them to do whether or not I agree with their, uh, point of view on spirituality or not. It was all about the intention of their heart. So I let them do what they do. Cause you know what? We can use all the help. I can use all the help I can get right now, but it's been, oh, also, also, one of them gave me a jar of honey. He's a beekeeper. I got a jar of, like, raw, unadulterated, un-God, I don't even remember. Um, I used to be into that whole thing, but, you know, where they don't heat it, where it's basically unprocessed. Basically, whole whole jar of unprocessed honey. That was very kind of him, and it came with Bible verses. It was very nice. So, it's been a little bit of a contrast this year. It always is, but this year, I think especially, people have been especially crabby. Um, and yeah, it was rough, y'all. 21 days, like, sleep on a couch in a basement, because that's how our living quarters have become arranged, and doing, on average, 180, 185 stops a day. Like, we were going at it, y'all. Like, trust me, I earned every single penny this trip. And, you know, I rolled in about midnight last night, and I spent all of this morning shopping. Y'all, when you put your life on hold for three weeks at a time, you know, and you try to let your groceries dwindle down so stuff doesn't go bad, you know, there's only so many things that'll keep in the freezer, et cetera, et cetera. When you come back, it's like you feel like you spend a whole stinking week's worth of pay just restocking the house and half a day doing it. I spent all of the money this morning, and right now, I'm really, really 
feeling pretty sick to my stomach about it. However, I shouldn't. It's groceries, and most of it was stuff for my daughter. So, like, I shouldn't feel guilty, but, like, I just hate spending money. Like, I have whole trauma. Like, I have this whole, like, childhood poor trauma thing that goes through my brain. Like, I grew up, you know, eating a pound. You know, you'd eat beans for a week because they were, like, 79 cents a pound. You know, go to school with holy sweatpants from Walmart, only to be made fun of by everybody. Not good memories, not good times. And so now as an adult, I get money. I don't want to give away money. Like, I do not like to spend money. And so, yeah, so it's been a whole day. It's been a whole three weeks. But I'm sitting here in the studio right now talking to you, and I am very, very happy about that. Um, This episode is coming with a holiday flair. Not really. It's not. It's dropping the night before the dawn, before the day, before the night, before the eve of Christmas. That was complicated, but it's dropping on Wednesday, Christmas Eve, I believe, is on Thursday. I should probably look at the calendar, and of course, Friday is Christmas, so anyway, this is a holiday episode, but we're not really going to talk about anything holiday-related. However, we are going to discuss some magical places out there in the world that I personally have stumbled upon in my time. It is that season, right? You know, it's it's the season where everyone likes to... uh, Suspend their disbelief, it's a little bit like Halloween, and and believe in that big fat hairy elf man, and you know, like when you come to like the Jewish faith, you have the um, miracle of the lamp oil, which is what Hanukkah is all about. Why it's a festival of lights, like it's just that time of year. It's 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 a time of year that everyone likes to to be a kid again and believe in a little bit of magic. So tonight we're going to talk about some really special places um, that I've come across in my travels over the years. Um, and, and growing up, not even during travel, some of them are right here close to home, but that have a little bit different feel. There's something about them that makes them more special and a little bit more magical um, than maybe some of the other places out there. That said, it's not going to be any of the places you're going to expect me to say. I bet right now you're thinking, Justin, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say Yosemite. You're going to say Grand Canyon. You're going to say Joshua Tree. You're going to say no. Actually, I'm not going to say any of those things. I've been to a lot of them, and they are awe-inspiring and beautiful. Go back to the beginning of this podcast series, 30-something episodes ago now, and I talk about some of those things. But this is different. This, is, this isn't this is about like awe-inspiring places with, with vast expanses of grandeur. It's not about that at all. It's about something a little bit different, something a little bit more intimate, something a little bit more personal, perhaps. Um, but yeah, that's what we're going to talk about tonight is some magical, cool places that I've been to in the world. Um, but before we get going into that, you know, how are you guys doing? Sounds like you're doing probably a little bit stressed out that time of year for most of you. Christmas is bearing down upon you and you got lots and lots of stuff to buy. And right now the stores, they're absolute chaos. And like I said, the shortages of oddball items, it's not helping. It's not helping at all. Um, y'all, I something I want to talk about. Like, there are some things that, first and foremost, I've driven in many, many cities in this country. This podcast is about exploring the great outdoors. It's also about travel a little bit. So let's talk about this for a second. This is kind of about travel. I've driven in a lot of big cities now. Like, I've delivered packages in a lot of big cities. That's not just like you know, scooting through on an interstate, that's like neighborhoods, that's getting into it, really learning areas and being there, being a part of it when you spend a month at a time doing that. I've been in Oakland, California, y'all. San Francisco, California. Dallas. You name the big city, but the only one I haven't really been in that's that's big time is probably LA. Um, because their traffic, they're just famous for how horrible their traffic is. But but Oakland is terrible. San Fran's not great. Dallas is not great. I've been in some crazy cities. I've driven a lot of miles on a lot of interstates and a lot of cities and a lot of places. I've never been anywhere, anywhere that the drivers are more aggressive than St. Louis, Missouri. Yep. Nope. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And I've talked to, you know, sometimes I'm sitting on a dock with some of these over the road guys. I'm waiting or I'm doing my thing and loading my bulk stop for this in- industry or commercial um, building or whatever. And they'll be on the dock talking long haul. And, and I've had more than one of them say like they completely agree. Um, it's a thing. They're like, no, I hate coming here. Like drivers, it's like they literally do not fear death and they will just ram you into the wall if they don't like what you're doing. That's not a joke. That's not a joke, y'all. 
Like, you don't want to road rage in St. Louis because they will flat kill you on purpose with their car, with no, with complete and utter disregard for their own personal well-being. Every single day, there's a fatality accident. You sit there, turn on the news in the morning, eat your breakfast. They're showing you which interstate to avoid because it's completely shut down for that day's fatality accident. St. Louis is crazy. And I realized that driving in St. Louis is kind of like a really good metaphor for life. Trust no one and expect to be traumatized. And that is not a joke. Like, that's that's not a joke. you got to be head on a swivel. Um, I'm glad that I drive a P1000, a 24, 26-foot-long, 18,000-pound straight truck step van because, like, people tend to, you know, seed the roadway. They yield. They yield the right-of-way to you more often than not because even when they want to ram you into the wall, they realize they're probably not going to win that battle. But if y'all are ever out traveling, I highly suggest just skipping around St. Louis if you have to go that way and there's any way to do it. It's it's pretty chaotic. Um, y'all, I did this thing last night where I downloaded, um, no, not, not, not last night, night before last, where I downloaded TikTok. Okay, I, I came up with this funny little thing and I thought, you know what, we're going to go viral on TikTok. And then maybe more people will start listening to the podcast. And I have friends that have been trying to get me to download TikTok for a while. And anyway, I downloaded TikTok and immediately it was an hour and a half later and I hated myself. Like, that's not really a joke either. Like, I'm not really exaggerating that. Immediately, it was an hour and a half later and I was like, oh my God, I just wasted my whole night on garbage. TikTok, what I saw, represents the worst of what humanity has to offer. I was like, holy crap, we care nothing. We care nothing about intelligence anymore. We're only here to be divisive, be derisive, and get laughs at other people's expense. To be fair, my friend that's tried to get me into it said, ah, yes, but you were in the wrong feed or whatever. Somehow you were looking at the wrong things. You should look at this this TikTok, this TikTok, this TikTok, and it's all science facts. It's all history facts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, to be fair, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try I'm going to try, but I can't promise y'all nothing. But anyway, it really messed with my head because it was, it's like, you know what? TikTok is like the moonshine of social media. Like you think about alcohol, it's a, it's a distillation process, right? You distill it so far and, oh, you've got whiskey and you distill it some more and you get that. And eventually you end up at moonshine where you're drinking basically, you know, Satan water. That's kind of what TikTok is. TikTok is like, okay, so Facebook, you know, posts are way longer. You start out with Twitter, pretty short post. There's not a lot you can say, you know, and it's mostly everyone did it through typing things, right? You could put a video or whatever, just like any medium. But then you get, you know, Facebook takes over as the really big thing. And then it's people writing long posts, et cetera, et cetera, or like they're, they're semi-lengthy. You know, it's more of an engaging um, process. Then you get TikTok, which is like rapid fire. It's like the machine gun of social media. It's like 15, 20 seconds max. Throw it at you and shove it down your throat as fast as you can. And like for me, I sit there and watch that for an hour and a half. I started out just like, I got to get a feel for what TikTok is like and how people use it. And at the end of it, I was like, I don't know that I even remember a single thing that I actually just watched. But I watched probably 150 things. And I don't remember any of them and my brain hurt and my head hurt. Like I really felt horrible after that. Um, so I've just decided TikTok is like the moonshine of social media. It is the highest distilled version of social media. It is the most potent concoction. Like it's like injected straight into my vein stuff. And in a lot of ways, that's really terrifying to me. But also I realized that, you know, there's good and bad to everything in the world. Like, I talk a lot of crap about social media. I'm not going to shy away from that. I absolutely do. But, because I actually feel that way. That just is what it is. But, I also realize people use it for good. And I, you know, can be accused of being a hypocrite. Because I use social media to promote this podcast and the things I want to say. But, anyway, this really got in my head. And I was kind of down. I was feeling pretty rough making my six and a half hour drive home last night. It'd been a long three weeks. I was exhausted. I actually, you remember like two episodes ago, three episodes ago, I said that occasionally I can just like dislocate my knee, just blow it smooth out. Yeah, that happened. Underweight in the back of my truck on this last trip to St. Louis. I screamed a lot. The roofer on the house next to me, I kid you not, I hear him yell at a guy and he goes, hey man, I think the FedEx guy is dead. Like that legit happened. 
And I, it was bad. It was a bad deal. So I'm hurting. I'm coming home. I'm feeling pretty sorry. I'm feeling pretty pitiful. I'm feeling pretty sorry for myself. Anyway, I got all this stuff in mind and I'm talking to a friend of mine and we're making this long drive back and I'm, or I'm making this long drive back and I'm talking on the phone and I'm going over this stuff and something dawned on me. I realized, I don't know, I, I bring all of this up because I think there's a point in it that maybe you could find some value in because I did. You know, sometimes you can kind of know stuff broadly and you're like, I have an idea, but you know, this thing just is what it is and it really bothers me and I don't really understand it. I don't know how to understand it. And I got a little bit of clarity kind of on the whole thing in a lot of things, not just social media amongst other things. And I don't know, it's just a simple thing. It's not a big deal. Like I'm not bringing, you know, the cure for cancer here. This isn't like earth shattering. It's just something that I kind of realized through the course of conversation and talking out all this crap that had been built up in my brain and bothering me from social media to anything else in the world that we have out there from social media to our, our interactions every day with other people, with where we're trying to go with our say careers or this or that. Everything really comes down to, is it self-serving or is it serving others? Is it self-serving or is it a service to others? Like I get so down, so down on social media. I can't even look at it because everything in it is very vain. It's very empty. It's very self-serving. All the stuff that's getting fed to you rapid fire, right? And like my brain doesn't like that. I do not get down with that point of view in the world. Like I'm not going to dog on anyone that is happy to be pacified by that, our newest choice of drug in this world. I'm really not because I mean, you can pass your time however you want to pass your time, but it bothers me because like to me, I just feel like I'm wasting time for me personally. I want to be learning things. I want to be understanding more if that's possible. I just, I don't know. I feel like we have a very finite amount of time on this planet and I don't know. I want to like squeeze every last drop out of it. And to me, the more I can expand my understanding of the world, the more edified I feel, the happier it makes me, the more whole I feel as a human. So that's the kind of things I chase. So I'm sitting there looking at this TikTok and it's blowing my brain up. But I realized like what it really comes down to is what, what are you using it for? You could make the argument right now, Justin, you use social media, like I said a minute ago, to promote yourself. So you're a hypocrite. That that's true. I mean, it is true, technically. But I also what I'm using this platform for it's this is something I hold myself accountable to. And it's all I can do is hold myself accountable to it. But I don't want to use it for self aggrandizement. I'm not trying to be famous. I don't want to be famous. You know, like, God, can you imagine being famous? How much crap goes with that? I don't want to be famous. I have a story I want to tell. I have a voice that I'm trying to find, and this is the best way to do it. I'm trying to build a platform for myself and others to find their truth and speak their truth. That's what I use this for. I ultimately, my honest to God, I sit here, if I'm lying, I'm dying straight in the face. What I want is to try to find a way to help people in any way that I can, because I went through crap. I went through crap, crap that I don't like to think about, and it sucked, and there was never anyone there. There was never anyone there. I remember thinking so many times in my life, why, why, why can just this once somebody not bail us out of this situation? That's what I felt like my entire childhood growing up. And now it's like, you know, I realize how bad it sucked to not have any support structure or no one coming to your rescue when you needed rescue. So in my mind, it's like, I just want to be helpful. And what I found to be the most helpful in this whole world is not throwing money at problems. It's talking about problems. It's telling stories. It's justifying and validating experiences for people. And that's just kind of the path I've gone. And that's what I'm trying to do here. So yeah, you could make that argument, but I'm trying to hold myself accountable to. I don't want to be famous. I really don't. I just want to speak. But if you're using all those platforms to, if it's really just truly about trying to get all the attention you can get, I think that's what blows my brain up. Because it's like, oh my God, what are you doing with all that attention? It's nice. I mean, you're getting that dopamine kick, you know, that's science. We've proven that you're getting that dopamine kick you're after. And that's great. But in the end, it's not, what are you building? Like you're not building anything. You're, you're, you're just, you know, kind of inflating your own ego. And I mean, that's good for you, but in the end it, it deflates. There's, there's nothing on the other side of it. Like 
when you're trying to build everything for yourself, I don't know. I've just found, and I've been selfish in my life, that being selfish and doing things that are self-serving, they never really truly end the way you want them to. It never really works out the way you want it to work out. But when you try to build others, when you try to serve others, like you sleep really good at night, you know, you feel like what you do is meaningful. And I think that's just, I don't know, just something to consider for you guys to think about. You can really distill down a whole lot of everything that goes on in this world because there's good and bad to everything that's out there. And truly, I think a whole lot of it, probably the vast majority can be taken down to one simple core root, one simple seed. And it's, what's your intention? What are you doing things for? Are you doing things for empty reasons that mean nothing and are just to serve yourself? Or are you doing things to try to better the world, better your little world around you, just your small little space on this planet, your little chunk of the pie? Are you trying to make things better for other people? Are you trying to serve people? And I think that that just, I don't know, it just was a great deal of clarity to me. It's like, wow, you can really break things down to this simple equation and kind of understand why you feel the way you feel about it, whether it turns you off or it turns you on. And I don't know. Anyway, it was just a thing to me. And I feel like this is, again, we're in the holiday season. It's supposedly the season of giving. And I've seen both sides of it for the last, you know, well, really six weeks. But this last three weeks was killer. I've seen the worst extremes of both sides of it every day, 13, 14 hours a day for the last literally 21, 23 days straight. I don't know. It was just meaningful for me to realize that. And maybe it could be useful to some of you guys out there. Anyway, let's get on. Let's get on to talking about some of these special places out there. Like, I don't know, you guys may have noticed, any of you that are watching on YouTube, you've noticed I am wearing my new glasses. This is amazing. I can read my outline right here in front of me. Let me knock the mic off the stand there. I'm reading the outline in front of me and I can see it clearly. Now, it's almost like the rain is gone. I can see all the obstacles that are in my way. This is mind-blowing. And yeah, the only thing I see here is my ring light. I can see the reflection right here, and it's coming right at y'all. It's probably messing with some of y'all's head. I'm trying to keep my head turned this way. I'm going to figure that out later because I have much to do and less time to do it in. We got to get this episode cranking. So what is it that I am talking about when I'm talking about magical places or certain, you know, kinds of special places, places that are different than what you're used to, to running into out there? Because we go out there, like, especially here in Arkansas, any of my Arkansas listeners, you're going to know, like you go to Big Bluff, you go up on the goat trail, you go and you float to Buffalo below Big Bluff, the right time of year when you can do the upper Buffalo in the spring and the water's there to do it. You put in at Ponca and you're, oh my God, it's amazing. It's breathtaking. It's awe-inspiring. But that's not exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. I know where all of y'all's brains is going. Hemden Hollow Falls. And for all of you listeners outside of my little world here in Arkansas, you know, you probably are thinking like, yeah, the Grand Canyon's got to be one of those places, right? I've been there. Holy cow. It just blew my mind. I've been to Yosemite. I saw El Cap. I've been up. I've seen the firefalls. Like, yeah, there are some things like that out there that are absolutely a cut above the rest for what a normal day hike would be, right? It's they're special places. I'm talking about places that are a little bit more intimate than that. Places that there seems to be something else going on there. And I don't know how to explain this without it starting to sound too woo-woo. Honestly, like, I am a very spiritual person. I've talked about that in the past. And I've been, you know, intentionally vague about it. I find that mysterious is fun for everyone. But also, it's also divisive. If you knew what I believed, then you'd have all the reason in the world to argue with me. There's no reason for that. We don't need to be arguing about nothing. We're out here just sharing our experiences so that we can learn from each other and possibly broaden our own perspectives. But to me, there are certain places on this planet, when you go there, you feel something different to it. It almost, if you are the spiritual kind, it almost feels spiritual, like there's something special there. There's almost a sentience to certain places. When I These places we're going to talk about tonight... When you walk into them, when you find yourself there, you almost feel like you're not alone. 
even if you're alone. You almost feel like the land itself, the forest that you are standing in or whatever area, whatever biome it happens to be where you find one of these places, you almost feel like it in and of itself is its own personality. It feels like an ancient place. It feels like somewhere that's perhaps been mostly undisturbed or unexplored forever and ever and ever. And you kind of get a sensation that I'm standing in a place that's very, very close to what it was like thousands of years ago. I'm standing in a place that transcends the reaches of tourism, a place that goes beyond the everyday mundane hike. And you're somewhere that goes into another realm that is, again, for some people and myself included, an almost spiritual place. And for others, it may just be recognized as, you know, if you're not a spiritual person, say you're an atheist, you may just recognize it as, wow, this is a really special place. There are a lot of things that came together for this to be what it is right now that it's just just a cut above. This is not the everyday. This is not the everyday. This is special. And that's the kind of place I'm talking about. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, four or five, I think, tonight. I just thought of one as I was speaking that came to mind, and I'll probably throw it in as well. Um, the first one I want to talk about, though, is we're going to talk about a place that is in California, the Central Coast region of Cali. Okay, it in and of itself is an absolutely mind-blowing masterpiece of nature or of creation, however you want to look at it doesn't matter honestly it is mind-blowing the big sur region specifically we've talked about it um and we're not going to talk about it again here tonight but we've talked about it in the past and it is it's special for me it god i found myself there i absolutely found myself there in a creek knee deep lime kiln creek in the southern most reaches of the big sur region one day in february or january it was january freezing to death waded out into that creek to try to get a long exposure shot of this cascade coming down beneath the towering redwoods. And that day I knew something about me I'd been looking for forever. No matter what it affected, anything in this world, it never be a career, may not ever change a life. But for me, I found myself, which was simply, this is it, experiencing all of these amazing things. I'm an experiential person. I'm not a read-about-it person. Yeah, I like to read, and I like to read about things so that I can learn and so I can go experience it for myself. I am a very experiential person. I discovered myself right there in Big Sur. And in the Big Sur region, there are multiple places. Guys, we could make episodes for weeks, and probably will at some point as I start to run out of material, about different places I visited in my three and a half months in that area working. Um... But tonight what we're going to talk about specifically is a place called Uvas Canyon County Park, which is, it's closer, it's actually Silicon Valley. It's closer to San Francisco, Santa Cruz, San Jose. Um, it's further north than what is considered the Big Sur region. It's actually north of Monterey. It's north of Carmel by the Sea. Um, but not very far. That's all a pretty tight little area there. Um, the new Almaden um, Quicksilver Mines are very close by. That's something we're probably going to talk about in the future, but... Uvas Canyon County Park in and of itself. It's literally right outside of Morgan Hill, California, which is where I spent most of my time while I was in Cali. And so it was a quick, it was a hop, skip, and a jump for me after work to go up and check out the waterfalls up there. And that's what it was known for is the waterfalls. There's a whole thing going on there. They have a water a waterfall loop trail. They have... um campsites. They've got all of the things that you want to find in a county park. That's something that's going on in California that you that are not of or from California or have not visited California need to know. California does like county parks. Like, you know, most of us, we have national parks, we have state parks. Um, and if we have a county park, it's like what a swing set, a broken merry-go-round and a bunch of um, used syringes. Like they actually have beautiful county parks out there that are literally like what we would consider a state park in Arkansas or Oklahoma. It's just a county park, county administered. Uvas Canyon in and of itself is one of those places that's like that. And it's absolutely beautiful. I drug my coworker one day. 
we were off work. It was probably a Sunday. We actually got days off when I was in Cali. Now, you know, no matter how long you're at work, if it's 21 days, 38 days, 55 days, you just work every single day. You don't get a day off. Back then, we got Sundays off. And we went up, and I drug him, kind of quite literally. Like, he was, like, very much... He, he wanted to not sit at the hotel, but he also didn't particularly care for where I was trying to take him. Um, <laughs> but we went and we went to hike up in Uvas Canyon because I found the brochure or whatever in the hotel lobby or research online, something like that. And we went up there. We waited because um, I went one day and the, the, the waterfalls were not running. And I went by myself that day and I didn't have any good waterfall action going on. Um, but come the next month trip that I went back or whatever, my coworker and I are out there and we had rain for like a month. Like it rained and rained and rained and rained. So one Sunday I was like, Hey, I know where I'm going. You want to go? And he was like, yeah, I guess so. That was a big mistake on his part. For me, it, it was not at all. It's exactly what I was looking for. He was not pleased by the end of this trip, but we drive up to the, the park entrance and we pay our day fee and set out to go hiking. Now it is pouring rain. It is a gully washer, as my mom used to say. Um, and it has been for weeks, but it's really coming down that day. So, I mean, I busted out, had on my waterproof boots. We put on our waterproof jackets. Like we tried as best we could to be as waterproof as possible. It did not matter. You remember Forrest Gump when he said, God, I'll, I'll butcher the quote here, but essentially sometimes it felt like it was raining up <laughs> at you that's what it was like up there it was like it was raining from all directions we were soaked from head to toe before we were a quarter mile into the hike but we made the little waterfall loop and pull it up on my ipad here so i can give you guys some locations so that if you ever go out there or you are out there and have never been you can kind of know what we were getting into um there are 7.2 miles of hiking trails in uvas canyon county park um Right now, just by the way, need to throw this in here. You know, I mean, it's one of those things. It's open sunrise to sunset. But right now, you have to make reservations. I don't know if that's a COVID restriction type of thing or what, but I did find online right now that you have to have reservations to go. So you have the waterfall loop, and then you have another trail that goes up to what is known as Triple Falls. Triple Falls is like the granddaddy there. That's the crowning jewel. If you're going to hike that, you're wanting to go see Triple Falls because it's essentially a triple falls. That's three. Trace. Falls that kind of connect together as they come down. It's kind of like three cascades as it works its way down the mountain. So we go up. There's a ton of elevation gain involved here over a very short amount of space. It's not a you know, big picture ton of elevation gain, but I'm talking 600, 800 feet in less than a mile and a half to two miles as you go up. But that's what made this so magical to me. This why this is what we're leading to is why this place was so special to me. We, at least from my, from my perspective, I was living out what it's like to be on the central coast of California, and for those of you that are unaware, it's kind of like the Pacific Northwest. You we're all aware it rains all the time. There's huge, beautiful mountain ranges, ocean, coastline. That's what Central California is like, too. So I'm there in a pouring freaking monsoon that's like what San Francisco and the Central Coast and all that is known for. Hiking beneath the redwood forest canopy up a steep freaking mountainside on my way to look for a waterfall in a pouring rain the fog was hanging in the valleys all around us we reached certain points one of them i believe was manzanita point which is on its way up to triple falls and there's a little bit of a lookout there it's been three years y'all so if that's the wrong location i apologize but there's a lookout right on the curve in the trail and i believe it's what's on this map is manzanita point and we look out over the valley and the clouds are, are below us. We're looking down on the tops of the fog hanging in the valley below us. But also, it's cloudy above us. And we're kind of like in this window of, I don't know, clarity with maybe a mile visibility. But the ceiling's like 1,800 feet and we're at like 1,600 feet. It was That alone was kind of magical. The feeling that that whole day had to it was really, really a beautiful feeling for me, which was the feeling of I am truly experiencing this hike, in this moment, in this place, this ecosystem, this biome. Like we're on the coast of California. We are on extremely 
steep trails that are slicker than greased owl snot, soaking wet from head to toe, freezing to death, hiking up through a redwood forest in a monsoon. This is living life. I am beside myself. My co-worker was ready to kick me into next Tuesday. He was miserable. He was so miserable. That poor guy, I swear I nearly, I think he nearly died that day. Like, he was so miserable. But it was a magical, magical afternoon for me personally because of the experience I was living. To me, that's what this world is all about, man, is to go out there. It's beautiful. It's diverse. It's incredible. And it's meant to be experienced. It's meant to be explored. It's meant to be enjoyed in the most thorough way possible. And I cannot think of a better way than to be completely soaked by the quintessential, the iconic Central California rainstorms. Hiking up the sides of mountains so steep that at any moment you feel like the entire side of the mountain could slough away in a also iconic slash quintessential coastal landslide. Like that was kind of what's going on up there. There's redwood trees just piled in the bottoms of gullies where there have been previous landslides. There were so many things going on there and it was it was almost an overloading of the senses in a really good way. Well, we get on up and we finally get to Triple Falls. And as we make our way up the valley, it's basically at a point, it's one way in. You can go on up to an old logging camp area, which is really interesting to explore, but you have to hook off the trail and you go up to Triple Falls. And you're basically hiking a very narrow trail straight up the side of a mountain. It, it's, it's a wash. It's a gully where the creek's coming down. Um, it was treacherous in places. We nearly got bowled over by those weird little stumpy deer that California has coming out of the brush and just bailed off the side of the trail. This deer just, chunk, there he goes. And it was like, I was like, oh my God, that deer just committed suicide or something. And we went and looked and he was down at the bottom standing there flicking his tail looking at us like, you can't do that. Come at me, bro. Like, it was mind boggling. But the the elevation changes you're walking on a trail with like a 60 foot drop right next to you and it's not like a rock bluff drop like we're used to here in arkansas in the ozark mountains no no it's like dirt it's like dirt and mud and you're like god when is this trail just not even going to be a trail anymore they can't keep that damn highway one from falling into the ocean how are they keeping this trail from falling into this gulch but it was wonderful it was absolutely, there were things that were a little bit sketchy, but like, I didn't care. We're climbing over the roots of redwood trees, like, and down through these washes where the trail has washed out. It was the real deal, y'all, but we get back in there. We get all the way back in there and finally, finally make it to the Triple Falls. You hear it before you get there, and then you see it. And it is kind of awe-inspiring. It's not a huge waterfall. It's, you know, triple kind of, like I said, kind of a triple cascade, but it's not like mind-blowing waterfall. It's not. It's not Hemden Hollow. It's not Bridalville Falls. It's not Upper and Lower Yosemite. It's not Niagara. It's none of those things. It's just kind of a tiny, you know, subjectively speaking, tiny waterfall up in this valley. But that's not what was amazing about it. It was that there's this beautiful waterfall falling amidst the washed out roots of redwoods, falling amid, I mean, towering, towering redwoods, like you are dwarfed by redwoods. You feel like if you've never been into the redwood forest, you have to go do this, okay? You have to. Because you feel like you are in a, in a movie. Like maybe you're in Middle Earth. Maybe you're in a Lord of the Rings type of scene. You feel like those trees are so giant. You feel like you're in another place. You don't feel like you're on this planet anymore. And you're up amidst these trees, amidst their giant root structures where they've washed out. The creek is, you know, undercut through certain parts of certain trees' root structures. And you're like winding your way through all this. And suddenly you're standing there in front of this waterfall, falling down in this almost subtropical, almost rainforest-esque feeling area. The only way you know that it's not a rainforest is because you're freaking freezing. It looks it. It feels it. And it was just an incredible place to be. And in that moment, I'm standing there looking at this waterfall. My coworker is dead on the trail somewhere behind me. So it's all me here alone trying to take a picture of this waterfall, which didn't happen. I don't have a picture I can share with you because the rain that day ruined my camera. There was no way to protect it anymore. 
There was no way to protect it. Once I pulled it out, no matter how much I tried to shield it, again, it was raining from all directions. There was no way to shield it. And my camera was ruined, and I lost all whatever pictures I took that day. Um, but I do have a picture in my head, and it was beautiful, and I'm going to try to describe it to you here. I'm standing there alone in this moment. I'm in an incredibly uncomfortable position on a trail that's probably less than six inches wide at the furthest point up that I can actually go because at this point, there's nowhere to go but down several feet, like break your legs, possibly, you know, more severe injuries than that fall. I'm at the very extended length of how far I can go to get to this waterfall, trying to take a picture of it in this rainstorm. And as I sat there realizing my camera wasn't going to work, I just finally stopped with the camera and I just sat there and I pondered that waterfall and I looked at the environment that it set in I looked around it I'm looking at these trees these giant towering trees these big dramatic elevation changes the mountain going above me and the gulch washing out beside me and I just felt like I was somewhere ancient I felt like I was somewhere at a different time in history that I had traveled back in time. It just felt like I was immediately transported to another era in the saga of this earth. And it felt special. It felt like you weren't alone. It felt like that land had its own memory, that it had its own personality, that it was almost sentient and knew you were there and knew why you were there and was going to respect you for why you were there. But has in its pocket the ability to not respect you anymore if you're not there to respect it. Am I saying that that is what happens in places like that? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is it's the kind of feelings that it invoked inside of me personally. I think my connection to nature, wherever it came and whence it might go, I know not. But wherever it came from, whatever it's inside of me, that's it right there. The connection I feel to that, I don't know. It's a very, very special thing. It feels like a very, very special place. And I think that if any of you were to go and explore and find a great rainy day to take yourself up and go up and try to find Triple Falls within Uvas Canyon County Park, I think that you might experience a little bit of that for yourself in your own way, with your own unique twist, through your own unique filter of what it means to you to be out there. I feel like that place has that kind of value to anyone who might want to go out and adventure and see it. Um, again, the central coast of California, y'all, there, there just aren't words. There just are not truly words, and pictures can't even do it justice. Video can't do it justice. You have to go. You have to see it for yourself. Um, let's move on to a couple of our other places that we wanted to talk about. These these are even less well-known, and two of them, I don't even know where they are. I could take you to the general area of where I stumbled upon them in my youth, but I don't know how to get back to them. I may go on some adventures someday to try to find them again. But these two were like my introduction to at least for myself, that I felt like there's more out there in the world, that there is something possibly spiritual about some of these places in nature, that there may be something just a little bit ancient, a little bit sacred to this land that we walk, to this world that we live in, to this earth on which we reside. Um, and it helps me to realize, too, being the, the history nerd and the anthropology nerd that I am, it come, becomes real obvious when you run into a place like that for yourself. It come, becomes real obvious, like, you know what? It's not a big leap. It's not a big leap of the imagination to understand why certain places on this planet became holy sites, became shrines, became sacred places to different peoples and different religions throughout history because some places just feel special. They just feel different, whether they actually are for any truly supernatural purpose or not. It's simply the aesthetics of what you're looking at, and it just evokes that feeling. It matters not. It matters not. But it's not hard to understand why certain places became that 
to certain groups of people throughout history. Um, the first place that I remember, well, both of these actually exist in the Shawnee Ridges area of the Washita Mountains down in southeast Oklahoma specifically. These two locations are in southeast Oklahoma. The Washita Mountain Range spans from southeastern Oklahoma all the way through southwestern Arkansas over into central Arkansas. Beautiful mountain range, one of the oldest mountain ranges on our continent. And that's why it's somewhat shorter than the Appalachians and or the Appalachians. And it's shorter than the Rocky Mountains because it's older than them. It is weathered and eroded for time immemorial longer. Like, I'm not going to throw out numbers to get everyone in a tizzy so we can have an evolution versus creation argument. We're not doing that. We ain't doing that here. Um, but they have eroded for a much, much longer geologic age than our greatest mountain ranges. They're older than them. And that, that also may kind of, maybe that plays into why they feel ancient in and of themselves. Um, but both of these places are in what is known on a topographical map. If you go and look for yourself, the Shawnee Ridges area of the Washita National Forest, it is south of Hodgin, Oklahoma, Hevener, Oklahoma, um, but north of, say, Mena, Arkansas, Waldron, it's west, west of Waldron, north of Mena. But anyway, give you an idea if you want to go look it up, Shawnee Ridges. Very interesting little place. Not extremely, not extremely um, dramatic mountain ranges, like not as much as the Ozarks are, but still very, very unique all their own. They have, we've got, we have loblolly pines, what they call loblolly pines. We have big, big pine trees and they get um, harvested down there quite frequently. So we don't have tons and tons of old growth pine forest down there. And um, I think that may play into what gave me the sensation that I had the first couple of times I ran into this. We we would go, when I first started, when I was 15 years old, I had a friend who was a year ahead of me, um, and he could drive before the rest of us. So when I was 15, he was 16, and a couple of our other friends were still 15, we got to go on our first solo camping trip together. And where we were allowed to go was down here in the Shawnee Ridges because we were through the forest over old logging roads less than like two miles from one of my friend's grandparents' house. Um, so there was something for all, I guess our parents felt more comfortable with that for some reason, but they let us go on our first camping trip down there. And we used to take our four-wheelers and we would go down there and we would ride four-wheelers throughout all the forestry roads and up on the mountains and explore the old ponds that they had dug for um, the wildlife. And we'd try to fish in those ponds and we would just go all over the mountains, all over Walker Mountain, and I'm trying to think, Blue Mountain, God, there were so many places we went and so much we explored. And that was kind of a magical time in my life. I mean, you know, it's like your first taste of quote unquote adulthood. You got to keep yourself alive, yo. Like, you know, you got to take food. You got to plan for that. You got to like drink water and stuff. You got to not wreck your four-wheeler doing something idiotic, which we all did at least twice in most of our teenage years, we just got really, really lucky for the most part. We had one dude that was pretty seriously injured. Um, but we just, we got to go out there and kind of be little adults, you know, and we got to kind of do things we weren't supposed to do. Like my mother has passed long since. So like, I can say this and not feel bad about it. Like mom, we weren't going night fishing. We were drinking lots of alcohol. Okay. Like, sorry, but that's what we were doing. You know, imagine teenage boys going somewhere to drink alcohol. But we could do that. We could do the things that we weren't supposed to do. Smoke and drink and whatever, you know. Um, maybe, possibly, say curse words. But anyway, we would do that. But there was a day out there, and I don't remember when. I don't remember if it was early on. I don't remember if it was in the later years, before, you know, right before we quit going. I don't know where it falls, and it doesn't even matter. But there was a day where I believe it was just myself and one other friend of mine, and we were down there on solo four-wheelers. We didn't do, like back then, we didn't really have side-by-sides. They were called something different, and they weren't nearly what they are today. It's been 20-plus years now. But we were just on our four-wheelers, and we were cruising around through the mountains, and I don't know where we were. I know we were. I know where our base camp was, but I don't know where we were from it. We were just on the roads following old logging trails, following old logging roads. We were even, I think at one point, I think we found a portion of the old military trail that ran from Fort Smith, Arkansas to Fort Townsend, Oklahoma, um, just based on the way it was graded and the depth of the ruts and the narrowness of the ruts felt a lot like a wagon road, but 
we were down there somewhere in the forest traveling around on this road, this dirt road. And I came, we come into like this big sweeping curve around the inside cut of a valley. And, you know, we're about halfway up the elevation of the little mountain or the hill that we were on, so to speak. And the trees that we were in were ancient, ancient loblolly pines. They were not harvested and replanted growth. These were probably, and I, I mean, I'm looking back on memories as a child, but what I know now as an adult, most likely they were old growth forest, which is exceedingly rare in today's age to come across old growth forest, something that hasn't been harvested and replanted. They were huge pine trees, like two to three times as big at the base as the average pine tree that you're going to run into in the Washita mountains. They've all been harvested, you know, 15, 20 year cycles. Um, were at least twice as big at the base in circumference. They were enormously tall, towering above our heads. And we're kind of just easing our way. We weren't going hard and fast. We were just easing our way, riding our four-wheelers around this kind of big sweeping bend. And I've got these pine trees towering above me and the thick canopy at the top, which means there was very little undergrowth. Okay, and that alone is special. If you guys have ever been in a forest with a tall canopy and a thick canopy, nothing grows on the forest floor, and there's a certain magic to that. All you're looking at, all of these giant tree trunks going straight to the heavens, you're in shade everywhere you are because you're beneath the canopy, but the floor of the forest is not covered in briars and brambles. The floor of the forest isn't covered in, you know, five-foot-tall two inch around saplings of undergrowth because no sun penetrates the canopy. That alone has a magical sensation to it. If you've ever gotten to experience that anywhere, you know it's a special place. It's a special feeling place. But that was the very first one of my entire life where I, I literally just stopped and I parked it and I killed my four-wheeler and I let my friend ride on up around the bend and I just sat there for a minute and I looked all around and I felt like I wasn't alone. That was one of the first times in the forest that I felt like there was something else there with me, but I wasn't scared of it. It's not like a kid growing up and you go out hunting and you get scared. Oh my God, I feel like something's here. Like, oh, it's, a, you know, a, a mountain lion or maybe there's a hog or maybe there's whatever. No, this was more like there just seemed to be almost an intelligence, almost a sentience, almost a just presence. And it just felt ancient. It just felt sacred to me. It felt like this is a very incredibly special place. And it had gave me feelings that I cannot describe to you. I am not currently articulating in any way, shape, or form exactly how that made me feel. Because I don't know that there there are words for it. I'm struggling to find them as we speak. Um, but if you've ever experienced anything similar to that, then maybe maybe you have an idea of what it is I'm kind of describing here. Um, there's something about it that creates an intense sense of reverence. Holy crap. All three of those words rhymed an intense sense of reverence. Like I need a sick beat. Somebody dropped me a sick beat. There's nobody here. Okay. Um, but yeah, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps those words, maybe that phrase will help you to kind of get an idea of what it is that I'm talking about. Um, but I will never, ever, ever forget that day. I won't. I've thought about it on and off throughout my entire life to this point. I'll never forget that day and that moment because something happened out there for me. There was a, not a sense of finding myself or anything, but I believe one of my first instances of a catalyst that set me on a path to finding myself and exploring what the great outdoors means to me because there was more to that than just a beautiful forest setting before me. There was a connection that started to happen for me in that day. There was, it's almost a clue. It was almost like finding a clue that there's more to this for you. And it looks something a lot like this. And so that was a very special day for me. And it, and it resides in my memory and always will. Um, and I hope that someday you guys will get to experience some things like that if you haven't already. And I'm hoping that maybe you have some of those of your own. Um, that you could write in and tell us about. Um, I got one more that I want to talk about because this one to me, it has that feeling as well. It's a special place, but it's got an added kind of mystery to it 
And I don't know. I just think it's a fun story. I just want to tell it. I think you guys will enjoy it. By the way, for continuity's sake, I said I had two stories about the Shawnee Ridges. There are, but we're at 55 minutes. I've been talking for an hour. So I gave you the most important story, the most significant one of my time in the Shawnee Ridges. The other one was actually very similar to that, happened a few years after it in a different section of the ridges down in a valley, but it was the same kind of thing. Tall, old-growth pines, riding four-wheelers, just stop and look. There's just dead silence, thick canopy overhead. It was it was a very similar scenario, and very similar feeling came from it. So just so you know, I, I skipped over one. Yeah, I didn't lie to you. I was going to tell you two stories, but I skipped one because we need to get on to this last one so we can wrap this guy up. Um, in eastern Oklahoma, it's a thing. It's a thing called the Hevener Runestone. Some people may have heard of it. Most people have not. You'll look it up. You'll have fun reading about that. Very controversial. Very, very controversial. Um, very interesting thing. It's a, it's a huge slab of stone on the side of uh, Poto Mountain in a place where huge rattlesnakes like to reside. I'm talking like rattlesnakes that are otherworldly big terrifyingly big like if one struck and bit you it might just snap your leg in half as opposed to actually biting you but it has runic inscriptions however it is debatable as to whether you know because it's like it's basically if you accept it vikings made it to north america way before columbus ever did and way deep into the interior of north america and for everyone else you know they don't accept it and there's issues with it like it's in two different um scripts um, runic scripts that are from different times by, I want to say four to 600 years. It's almost like, but there's also like added intrigue to it in that this thing is like an eight something on the most scale of hardness, this giant slab of rock and the characters are deeply etched in. And it's like, what would it have taken someone to be a modern forgery, and we're talking modern, like the the Native Americans in the area pre-1900s knew of it there, okay? So if it's in modern forgery, we're talking about modern in the sense someone in like the 17 or 1800s did it, not like in the 50s or 60s with a freaking Dremel. Um, you know, there's so much mystery about it. Anyway, that alone is fascinating, but that's not what's important, okay? That's not what we're here to talk about. That's just to give you a location you can Google and also some interesting things for you to read about. Um, and maybe you can join into the debate with all of the crazy people on the internet. But that's just to give you a location, an indicator of where I'm talking about. If you go through Hevener Runestone State Park, which now may be a city park, the state quit administering. Okay, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Justin, stay on subject. Okay, okay. If you can get the caretaker of the park to allow you access through the gate at the backside of the park to travel on up onto the top of Poto Mountain, which is doable. It's not private land. Um, and there are other ways to get to it. That's just the quickest way. The other way is a really long track from way over near Hartford, Arkansas. But if you go up above Hevener Runestone, there's another ridge up above where the actual runestone sits. Think of the mountain as, you know, a big lump of dirt. Two quarter, you know, half the way up, the runestone sets in a little valley. Three quarters of the way up, you get like a little ledge and a plateau, and then the rest of the way you get to the top of the mountain. Well, if you go up above the runestone and you come back down the ridge line, the rock bluff line above the runestone, you're several, you know, probably 100 feet higher in elevation, if not a little more, you reach a point where you're looking down and you can see where the park is. You can see the roofs of the buildings at the park to your south and west. And there'll be a giant pine tree, at least there was 12 years ago, the last time I was there, a giant pine tree growing up from beneath the bluff. Okay, you're like looking in its canopy. You're not looking at the root system and the trunk. You're looking at the canopy. You see that pine tree, there will be a crack in the rocks that works its way down to where the base of the pine tree would be right? If you make your way down that crack without being bitten by copperheads or rattlesnakes, and you come back up the bluff line to where the base of that tree is, there is a cave in the side of that bluff line that has been rocked in at some point in history by a human being and inhabited. There is a fire shelf. There's like a place where you could sleep. The smoke would come out. I 
actually met older men after I discovered this who knew of it and said as children, they would go up there or as young men and they would camp in it. And they said, if you built a fire on the fire shelf, what they called the fire shelf, the smoke would actually come out hundreds of feet away up the bluff line. So you could essentially be concealed. You could hide out there. No one would ever know you were there. Of course, their take on it was, oh, that was a Jesse James hideout, which just by the way, guys, I don't want to poop in anyone's Wheaties, but just FYI, Jesse James and Bell Star did traverse and travel all over eastern Oklahoma and western Arkansas and southeastern Oklahoma into Missouri. Yet they certainly did. They show enough did. But everywhere that you've ever heard, that was a Jesse James hideout. Like 99% of the time, no, it wasn't. There's very, very few places that were where Jesse and old Bell Star hung out. But that's what they like to say it was at the time. Even then, I was like, yeah, this is probably more like indigenous people's type of thing. Who knows how far back it goes? Other people postulate that that little cave could have been the builder of the runestone or the the inscriber of the runestone themselves if it is indeed not a quote-unquote fake. But what's curious to me is you can't find anything about it online. I don't believe an archaeological survey of it's ever been done. I assume the state of Oklahoma is probably well aware it's there and may have done some kind of an archaeological survey, but I found through my grown-up life as I try to explore and look into um, archaeological things that I happen to know exist through knowing humans and hearing stories and going and seeing it on private property with my own eyes and finding out, yeah, the state knows. The state's done some things with it, but they don't, you can't find any information about it online because if they don't have enough money to turn, and it's not significant enough to turn it into like a state park or something that can be protected day and night by a caretaker and an attendant, they don't want you to know where it is because humans are crap. Okay. Humans are absolutely crap and think that somehow it's their right to completely destroy any kind of cultural heritage we have so they can put an old, you know, a stone axe, a Clovis point. I mean, things go back as far as you want and that they should be able to put it in a box in their drawer somewhere or on their mantle, on their fireplace. Like that's humanity. We like to take things that aren't ours and we like to not really care how it affects our knowledge of, you know, ourselves, our history, our, our, um, our origins are found in those stories. But anyway, so I'm assuming the state of Oklahoma probably knows about this cave and it's rocked in status and that someone at some point did that. And it goes back to times where some of the old men I talked to about it, they were into their 70s and 80s talking about them using it as as young men back in that would have been in the 30s and 40s and them talking about their grandparents are the ones that showed them. So like you have a certain amount of ch- of a chain of unbroken. I mean, it's not like it's not like evidence. It's not like a chain of uh, chain of possession and evidence, but in a way, it's an oral chain of information that's been passed down. And you can go back just a couple of generations and go, this cave has been rocked in like this for a long, long time. And that's fascinating. But I tell you all that, and I got off subject, honestly, just describing how cool this little thing is. But it had that feeling as well. When you stand there before it and you look at this cave and you turn around and you look back across the Poto River Valley, you see Wister Lake, you know, some 20 miles in the distance over the horizon, just barely glimmering in the sunlight. And that particular day, we had a squall line of thunderstorms screaming across the valley from northwest to southeast coming right at us. I mean, I'm talking, we're about to have a head-on collision and you can see the rain coming across the valley at you and I'm standing here below the at the base of this giant pine tree right in front of this probably ancient cave that's been rocked in by some human at some point in history and there was very much a sense of like this if only these walls could talk is kind of what comes to mind it's like I would love to know who lived here what they did here what their purpose was were they just surviving were they hiding from something um And a sense, again, of just not being alone, just almost a place so ancient. It's like you almost feel like the land itself has a memory of all the things that came before. Is that true? No, probably not. But it just feels that way. It's that ineffable. It's that indescribable sensation that some of these places that are supremely special places on this planet exist. 
it make it nearly it makes it nearly impossible to brain words. I are not an English major. Like it all goes away when you're trying to find ways to describe what some of the magical special spaces on this planet feel like. To me, the only words that seem to really strike are again, ancient and almost sentient. There's something there. There's something more there for me personally, at least there's something more there. And that's fascinating. That's fascinating to me. And something that I want to explore further as I move forward in my life. I want to find more of these places and I want to go back and find some of the ones I've been to again. Yeah. There are some beautiful, indescribable, ineffable, as I said, places out there. And I hope you guys will go out there and try to find some of them for yourself. And if you have found any of them already, if you have any experiences similar to what I'm talking about, and you'd like to share your story, send me an email, mywaywardstory at gmail.com. This is a great place to start to wrap it up. That's a pretty good segue, and we're over an hour. In tonight's apparently commercial-free holiday offering, because I forgot to put the commercial break in. But you know what? Big deal. It is my Christmas slash Hanukkah slash whatever gift to you. No commercial tonight. Um, But if you have any stories, like the one I've told tonight, or any other stories at all that you would love to share with your fellow listeners, mywaywardstory at gmail.com. If you guys would like to check out any of our other offerings, waywardstories.com is the nexus of information for all things Wayward Stories. You can find the Instagram, you can find the Twitter, the Facebook, you can find YouTube, or you can also just go to youtube.com forward slash waywardstories and find the video version of this podcast you were listening to and many of my experiential videos. I just made one three or four days ago, first time in a while, because I was off work a little early, and I went to this awesome old abandoned church in Waterloo, Illinois, and made a quick little experiential video and did some photography over there. If you want to check any of that out, waywardstories.com is the best way to do it. Um, I just appreciate you guys, man. I hope that you have a great Christmas or you had a great Hanukkah, if that is what you celebrate, or any other version of the holiday that you celebrate or do not. I hope that you are having a good winter season right now. I look forward to seeing you again in two weeks. And until then, you guys... Go out there, you know, be good to each other. Be the change that you want to see in the world. 